Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. Kurt, just returning from a week in New York City, correct? Yeah, feeling good. Had some uh, great, well, great food all around, the, the pizza and the, the steak and the people and the scenery and the shows and the, I don't know, fill in the blank. There was a little bit of everything. It's New York City. Did you like New York better than San Francisco? Yes, I did. I don't know why. It, it was a different feel, different people. Uh, I mean, they're both great big cities. I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, this time around, and it depends on the trip. I had a little more time to to look around and do things. I had some people that I met up with, and it makes a big difference when you have a local helping you out doing some things than you're in a strange person in a strange city. Well, I think there are plenty of strange people in both cities. No yeah. <laughs> I think there are strange people in every city. It just depends if you're attracting them or not and if you find them or not. Do you want to hear how big of idiots you and I are? Yeah, well, I was looking... <laughs> sure, yeah, I do. Please tell me I'm an idiot. Yes. Well, we're about to talk about it because I was actually looking at our stats for the podcast. And guess what? Two cities are our top most downloaded cities for the podcast. Oh, uh, San Francisco and New York. Bingo. <laughs> oh, those are my two favorite places in the whole world. Wow, what great cities. Yeah. <laughs> so that, my friend, is why we are idiots. There you go. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to San Francisco tomorrow, so I'll come back with with a glowing review for everybody. There you go. I've had glowing reviews. It depends on the, the visit and where I'm at and the location of San Francisco, because some of those spots in both cities are great, and some of them kind of a little on the scary side. Agreed. Agreed. Well, <laughs> good, good. Everybody, uh, thanks again for listening to Maximize Your Influence, even though we have insulted a large portion of you today, and we appreciate you continuing to listen. We appreciate your feedback. Uh, Tell us all the great local spots of New York and San Francisco by emailing us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. That's where you can send comments and questions and thoughts and derogatory remarks to Kurt. And (laughs) certainly uh, listen to us on the, the blog. You can check us out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on TuneIn, BlackBerry, Windows Marketplace, all of those. So love to have you. We'd love to have you subscribe so that you automatically get every every new and cutting-edge episode that we work so hard to produce for you. And maybe we should even have the listener joke of the week and have them submit those and, and have people rate them. Yeah, well, I think we're the joke of the week this week, so we did everybody a favor and started it off, but we need some (laughs) suggestions for next week. There you go. There you go. Well, interesting study I wanted to bring up really quick. (laughs) I don't think it's any shock to you, but turns out that kids with set bedtimes are better behaved. Are you shocked? Uh, Not really. Why not? Well, kids need consistency. You know, I have children, you have children, and the couple things, there's a consistency and they know that's the time and you're not going to back down that's the time and even in the corporate workplace they well it's due on friday and you're like yeah whatever they'll extend it versus the same thing's true with kids yeah whatever i'll just pretend i'm thirsty and hungry and have to pee and do this and it'll go to 10 30 11 whatever the time is but when they don't know we're not dinking around here it's 10 o'clock or it's nine o'clock they know it you're not going to budge 
They get their sleep. There's some consistency, and kids want consistency, even though on the outside it doesn't look like it. Yeah, directly from the study, it says that not having fixed bedtimes accompanied by a constant sense of flux induces a state of body and mind akin to jet lag. And this matters for healthy development and daily functioning. So if your kid is a turd, for lack of a better term. (laughs) (laughs) That is a scientific term. Yes, it is, used often in in child development (laughs) studies. But if they are uh, not behaving the way that you had hoped, it may be time to look at are they going to bed at the same time every night. However, the study is very careful to warn that there are a variety of other things that go into this. But, hey, this is a great place to start. I know that uh, parents that have rough kids, because I've had one. We kind of broke her like a wild horse. But, wow, you do anything when your kid is just a little demon monster. You will try almost anything. <laughs> And sleep would be one of those, consistency would be another, and I mean, think back to college days or any time, that lack of sleep just does bad things to your brain, it does things to you physically. Even the latest studies on weight loss, they say that getting enough sleep is just as important as exercise and just as important as eating right as far as being healthy and losing weight. In fact, I have a, a teenage son that I know, he's playing football and doing these other things. Man, when he doesn't get enough sleep, I know his emotions are out of whack, he's quick to anger, but when he gets enough sleep, he's the nicest kid around. It's true, it's true, and people tune into this podcast to hear some cutting-edge persuasion and negotiation techniques, so us telling you, hey, get enough sleep, might seem fairly elementary, but I can tell you, I've made some bad deals while I've been tired. I, I can tell you, it's just, I am not on my A game. And so I, I've i said on here before that we're all just a bunch of big five-year-olds. Our problems are, are bigger <laughs> and more complex. But unfortunately, we use some of the same tactics and emotions that five-year-olds do. That's a great point. We've heard it before, but we don't know. Sometimes we don't know how tired we are. And I love what the famous football coach Vince Lombardi says. He says, you know, fatigue makes cowards of us all. We don't think straight. We give up easier. We think we accept deals that we shouldn't have. All these things come into play for us personally, but also you need to know this as a persuader. If you're persuading someone that's fatigued, as we talk about in the law of involvement, frustration or indifferent or jealous or anger, any of these emotions, we need to know, first of all, how to identify what's going on. And second of all, how to deal with that, because the way we persuade a a tired person, a different person, an angry person, a lazy person is going to be different. And if we just data dump all the things they need to know and do it the wrong way, then it's going to backfire on us every time. Every single time. And we, we kind of went into this talking about kids. And, and because you have kids, you probably went through that torturous time when they were about two years old that they liked to watch the uh, television show Barney with the Purple Dinosaurs. <laughs> totally agonizing. And I remember reading a a report from about six or seven years ago when Guantanamo Bay, Cuba was in the news a lot as a holding facility for uh, combatants, terrorists, whatever you want to call them. That, that was actually a big debate what to call them back in the day. And whether you agree with detaining terrorists in Guantanamo Bay or not, it's pretty entertaining to hear that one of the first things they did when they got them there was deprive them of sleep. And just they wouldn't let him sleep. They wouldn't let him sleep. And when they started to notice these guys nodding off and about to sleep, they would blast the the horrible theme song from Barney the Dinosaur <laughs> into the cell of these terrorists to oh, just would, make them would, crazy. 
That would drive anybody crazy. Even if they weren't sleep deprived, that would drive you crazy. Yeah. So they, I'm sure they were singing like canaries, whether it was correct or not. I don't know. But hey, I'd make up whatever. Just make it stop. Let me sleep yeah. and make the Barney music stop for crying out loud. Yeah. Sleep deprivation is big for interrogators as far as getting the mind more susceptible to persuasion and influence many times. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, another interesting study that I read about today from uh, Harvard Business Review. We'll link to this on the blog. Pretty great little article on, uh, well, it's called How to Listen When Your Communication Styles Don't Match. And this goes off a little bit of what we were talking about with Jerry Clark a couple of episodes ago on his uh, colors and, and personality types. But I thought that the article made a couple of really interesting points about how to deal with what they call venters slash screamers and explainers slash belaborers. <laughs> there so, you go. A venter, a screamer, somebody who just appears to somebody who is not one of those to just be letting out emotion with no end goal in mind. Many users would say, oh, you're talking about a woman. <laughs> I'm going to get some mail <laughs> for that. But all joking aside, people who are just wanting to talk about who need to get those feelings out, right? Mm -hmm. So the article's advice is, just let them blow. Try not to take it between the eyes and imagine that you're looking into the eye of a hurricane and that a storm is coming. But it gives an interesting piece of advice. It says, look in their left eye, because the left eye is connected to the right brain and the emotional brain, and let them finish. And actually, verbatim, it says, you need to tell them, I can see you're really frustrated. And to make sure I don't add to that, and to make sure I don't miss something, what was the most important thing I need to do in the long term? What's the critical thing I need to do in the short term, and what do I need to get done ASAP? Obviously, you wouldn't want to say it all scripted like I did. You would need to, that would need to come from you. It needs to not look like something that's rehearsed. But I thought that was a really great way to kind of corral the, the emotional person, the venter, the screamer, to distill this into some logic that gives you an action plan going forward. What are your thoughts about that on, on dealing with the venter slash screamer? Well, that's a true. You need to let them kind of get it out. They're looking for someone to blame. It's somebody else's fault. So the great thing is to let them vent. And then also, if you can find a common enemy, is a great thing, a distraction, change of scenery, go for a walk, get the blood back in their brain because it's left their brain. And then they're asking a logical question to where they have to think and get a little more blood back in the brain and to pause. You know, hey, you know, if a genie appeared and made everything look perfect, what would that look like to you? Where they have to pause and think and ponder and get the logical side going again. There's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, I one of my favorite books, I can't remember if we've talked about it here before, and you actually recommended this to me back in the day, was Emotional Intelligence by Dr. Daniel Goleman. And so much of that book surrounds the the part of the brain called the amygdala, which assesses threats. And when it perceives a threat, it shoots the brain full of endorphins and reactionary chemicals to induce that fight-or-flight response. And I think a lot of times when somebody's in that venting mode, the amygdala is fired up, the brain is awash in emotion. And getting to focus and getting them to focus on, okay, here are the problems, I need to restate them in a logical way, is doing exactly what you said. It's getting some blood running back up there so that they have to think. The article says after they respond, you need to tell them, hey, look, what you just said is way too important for me to have misunderstood a word. So I'm going to say it back to you and make sure I'm on the same page with you. 
here's what I heard. And then it encourages you to repeat back word for word if possible, because then you're solidifying the fact they're feeling validated that you actually did listen. But it's so easy to get in these conversations where it's emotion, 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 and you leave with no set action plan to resolve things long term. So I thought it was a pretty good point that the article made. That is a great point. In fact, I was reading a study a few weeks ago about people who are mad versus sad. And something interesting that came up that I learned is that when people are mad, you know, they're looking for someone to blame. And it's looking for a person to blame. It's somebody else's fault. It's not their fault. So when people are mad, they're looking for someone to blame. But when they're sad, they'll blame the situation. And that's a big thing to understand when you're persuading. Okay, are they, are they mad and they're angry or are they sad and depressed? Because when people are sad and depressed, there's very little deception. They're just out there. They're sad. They're depressed. It's a situation. It's the economy. It's the government. It's, it's some situation. And it's a whole different persuasion scenario. That's, that's good to know. You know what I've, I found most interesting about this article? Because we go on to the explainer, the belaborer. Mm-hmm. You've, you've dealt with these people that they just beat the dead horse. They explain the same thing ten different ways, and you kind of want to pull your hair out. right? So... What these people are used to having happen is people glazing over and not paying attention. Now, you would think that you and I assessing this on a logical level would mean, okay, an explainer or belaborer notices that people are checking out when they're talking to them. The best thing to do would be to cut bait, to try to do something to catch their attention, start over. But that's not what these people do. They just feel like, oh, I I need to keep explaining more because they're just not grabbing this. The cure is, is more of the disease, so to speak, in their mind. And so the article's main point is, in this case, you have to listen too. You just have to say, look, this is gonna take a while. You gotta let them work through the cycle. Focus on that left eye, because that allows you to appear like, I'm completely engaged here. I'm doing the best I can. But then you just use the same thing. When they're done, you say, I can see you really had a lot to say, and I don't wanna miss anything. So what's the most important thing I need to do in the long term? What do I need to do in the short term? And what do you need from me ASAP? Uh, so it's virtually the same response, but for completely different reasons. I thought that was pretty interesting. It's a great response to that person. I'll keep explaining and explaining, like you said. So I was like, oh, they're not drinking the water. Let's give them more water. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, right. No, but they just turn off. And that's where the key thing to keep them engaged, to keep them involved versus just data dumping or giving your canned presentation and hoping something will stick. Yep. Yep. So great article. We'll post a link to it on the blog so that the, you can check it out for yourselves. If you're dealing with coworkers, vendors, buyers, clients, whatever it may be, you're definitely going to be finding yourself in this situation pretty quick here. I would imagine that uh, I'll be dealing with one of these people by as early as tomorrow morning. Mm, Guaranteed. (laughs) Guaranteed. So I wanted to play a little bit more off of some of the things that affect that biological ability to persuade because we've hit on that a little bit with each of these main points. And you've done some interesting research on fatigue and frustration and something interesting that I had never heard of called priming. How would you tie that into what we've talked about so far? One of the 12 laws of persuasion, as you know, is a law of involvement and keeping someone engaged, keeping them listening. Because if they're not listening, they're tired, too hot, too cold, too comfortable, too uncomfortable, indifferent, 
frustrated, angry, that affects your ability to persuade them. It, even the simple thing, if they're not listening, they've tuned out, you've got to shift gears and grab their attention because if they're not listening, they're not involved, they're not engaged, it doesn't matter what you have or what incredible offer you have, you will not be able to influence them. Okay, okay, fair enough. So what are we talking about when we bring up priming? What does that mean? Why, why should we care about it as persuaders? Well, priming is more the, the psychological side. I mean, you have the physical side as far as, you know, room temperature. Research shows that 68 degrees is that most persuasive temperature, that a little too cold is better than a little too hot. You know, the way you set up a room, the way you get rid of distractions, the lighting, the fresh air. I mean, that's putting that aside, this is the physical side. The priming is more the psychological side to where you can prime somebody's brain to get your message or take them down the path that you want. Let me give you some studies here that are fascinating. For example, the first one, they bring in these college students to take this math test and they make it really easy for them to cheat. Anybody could cheat, nobody would know, and the students knew that. Before they took the test, they sat them down and said, okay, to half the students, can you recall 10 books you read in high school? And they wrote them down and then they took the math test. The other half, they said, hey, can you recall 10 books out of the Bible? priming them, thinking that cheating's wrong, right? Here's what happened. Those who recalled books from the Bible were less likely to cheat, dramatically less likely to cheat than those who recalled books from uh, their high school. Another one was done that was really interesting. Again, it's called implicit priming, that they would show these students scrambled sentence in a puzzle, and they were showed rude words like obnoxious, aggressive, annoying, disturbed, interrupt and polite. And the other group was shown polite type words, respect, courteous, considerate, behaved. And then they went to the next room to complete a second task. They found that the experimenter was with another student trying to explain the task and the student couldn't get it. He kept explaining, didn't get it, didn't get it, didn't get it. And it was just annoying to these people that were waiting to talk to this experimenter because this student was just dense and didn't get it. But they found out that those that were primed with the rude words interrupted after 5.5 minutes. But those that were primed with the polite words didn't interrupt till after 9.3 minutes. In fact, one more I hear in priming. Again, this is implicit priming. This is psychological persuasion to where they, people were giving a math problem. They were to estimate what the number would be. So the first group was given 8 times 7 times 6 times 5 times 4 times 3 times 2 times 1, right? And the second group was given the exact opposite. One times two times three times four times five times six times seven times eight, right? Logically, we know it's going to have the same answer, but they were given a couple of seconds to estimate what the value would be. Half were given the eight in front, half were given the one in front. And the interesting one is when the one was in front, the average was 512. But when the eight was in front, the average answer was 2,250. Now, the really interesting one is the actual answer is 40,320. No one was even close, <laughs> yeah. but there was a huge difference with the priming with the eight in front versus the one in front. So there's the physical involvement, and of course there's the psychological, which would be the priming where you can do this, whether it's your kids or whether it's coworkers or whether it's in your presentation. Priming can be a powerful way to keep people involved and get them down the right track. So we would use that by exposing them to different information, words, people, ahead of time to get them in the mood, I expect. Is that right? Yeah, get them in the mood, get them thinking in the right direction. We could talk about how mood matters in, with involvement and keeping people on track. But there are certain things that you could do throughout a negotiation, throughout a persuasive presentation that can have a huge difference in your ability to influence. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. 
Well, I appreciate that information. Uh, anything else you want to add to it before we move on to Homer Simpson? <laughs> we love Homer. Yeah, just remember that the biggest part, I think, with the law of involvement that people don't understand, and we can talk about the different aspects from physical to psychological, is that a confused mind says no. They won't say they're confused. They don't say they understand, just like it was college or high school. Any questions, people don't understand it, but realize that you have to ask the right questions to find out if they're confused, if they understand, because they will always say no. They'll always say, I'll think about it, come back later, talk to a spouse, more information, because they're confused. They don't know exactly how to use your product or service or how it's going to help them. Okay. Don't, don't, don't. Well, there's Homer. Oh, we love our Homer. There he is. We Not do. The... We have yet to hear from the attorneys for the Simpsons, so we're going to let this one ride. <laughs> well, we paid top dollar for the sound online, so it must be legit, right? Yeah, well, I paid like five bucks for that thing. I know. Come on. Yeah. If it's online, it's legit. If it's online, it's true. We've heard the story. Oh, yeah. Everything on the Internet is accurate. So <laughs> last week, I was out in Fremont, California, and that's where I recorded the podcast from with you last week. And I was doing some consulting work for a group of real estate investors who want to buy properties in that part of the country. And if you've been following real estate at all, and I don't, I don't expect you to, that's okay, but basically the Bay Area is nuts right now. Properties are getting multiple offers the second they hit the market. It's extremely, extremely competitive. So we were cruising all over the Bay Area, typically the, the East Bay, Fremont, Hayward, Oakland, and then getting up over to Walnut Creek and Concord and San Ramon, that whole area back there. Beautiful area back there, Walnut Creek. I was very impressed. I hadn't been there for a while. What this entailed is we needed to call up a couple of realtors to get them to show us some inventory that was on the market. Well, it turns out that a couple of the realtors in the area have become pretty full of themselves, Kurt. And we No. Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and we're going to see properties in, say, Concord, California, and you can live in a lot uh, worse places, but you can live in a lot better places, too. Nothing against Concord, California, while we've been insulting our listeners today. <laughs> but this isn't, uh, this isn't Fifth Avenue. It's not Bel Air, right? Mm -hmm. It's not some of these uh, exclusive neighborhoods in the country. And so we'd ask these realtors, hey, we'd like to go out tomorrow afternoon and see any kind of listings that you have available. And two of them said, well, I need to see your mortgage pre-qualification or your bank statements before we go out. I'm like, you're a realtor. And you're telling me before you're going to show me houses, you want to see my bank statements. Yes, we just need to see your bank statements. I mean, it was extremely hoity-toity. Massive blunder, here's why. Because I know people are going to hear, they're going to think, well, Steve, that's, that's time management. They're qualifying you as a prospect. And I get it. I think that they could have done that in a different way. Because now what's going to happen? I'm with three or four clients. What are they going to tell everybody in the Bay Area about this realtor? What's this realtor going to do when the market turns? I mean, we've all seen this, right? When all of a sudden properties aren't at a premium and you're begging for any buyer you can get, what will you have done to yourself over the long term? A lot of this has to do with the negotiation techniques we were talking about last week where, hey, look, don't assume this one deal is the only time you're ever going to run into this person. That's not the case. So it was a massive blunder for, for those reasons. 
instead of projecting that, hey, look, I'm busy, I'm successful, and that's great, I only want to work with people that are serious, it conveyed an attitude of snobbiness and such. So I think through some verbal packaging and some correct posturing, you accomplish the same thing. You keep yourself from driving around the riffraff, people who can't buy properties all day, but you keep a good name for yourself in the community and preserve these people who, even if they aren't great buyers right now, who's to say they won't be in six months or a year or whatever. So that's our blunder for the week. you have any comments about that one? Yeah, I do. And on one hand, it's good time management. You want to pre-qualify, but then they're also pre-judging. And I'm a big believer, kind of like what you said, everybody you meet can do business with you or know somebody that can. And if you're offending them and they're not qualified, you don't want to work with them, then it's going to have the opposite effect. Yeah, I saw that in New York City with people trying to sell what they're doing or selling tickets to Broadway to where they only had a couple seconds, but they did it the wrong way. And that might be successful one out of 100 people because they only have, they're running out of time, they're running out of time versus if they would take 10 seconds with maybe 50 people or 10 people, they'd probably get two, three, four times more people interested by saying and doing the right things versus trying to just weed everyone out at the right time. Because prejudging the violation of expectations, what's happened to that with you in, in California, will just hurt the prospect will suck the energy out of the persuader especially when they prejudge and it's again it's good time management to quickly quickly quick but a lot of times if you just get in and ask the right question it doesn't take that much longer to do it but you'll double and triple your success rates you certainly will and you'll build longer lasting more profitable relationships and that's what my whole business is based on is i have to build a long lasting profitable relationship the one-time quick deal isn't worth it to me. And going back to our specific blunder here and trying to help the listeners relate this to whatever they may be doing, because I know, I get it. Qualifying the prospects is one of the most important things you can do. Nobody likes to go through your whole presentation, your whole sales cycle, only to be told, hey, I need to talk to my wife or I don't have any money. We want to find that stuff out ahead of time. I totally get it. But probably a better way to approach this one would be to uh, would be to make it the seller's problem because we could say something that's totally true and accomplish the same purpose. That realtor could have instead say, I love working with investors. I would love to show you some properties. One quick suggestion. If if you don't have your bank statements or your pre-qualification letter prepared from a lender, I would definitely suggest that you get that ready before we go out and see some properties because these things go so quick we might be in a property you might decide you want it and we need to turn in the offer and nobody's gonna take you seriously unless you have that stuff you're just faxing in paperwork just a fax in paperwork so I don't know where do things stand there do you need a couple of more days to wrap that up or do you guys have that stuff together because we could really uh, get some good properties if you have that ready to go yeah there you go right yeah, so that's a great point to say, well, this is why we're doing it, explaining why, or even make it somebody else is, is requiring. You know, the house is moving fast, and a lot of the sellers are requiring this, this, and this. I want to make sure that we don't delay and we do everything right. This is the type of thing that people are looking for, and we need to act fast and make it someone else, or this corporation wants it, or this person needs it. This is what someone else is looking for. And so now it's somebody else asks, and there's a reason why. And it makes a big difference. Yeah, it's it's multifaceted because it's it's true. The sellers are requiring that stuff uh, for any offers to be taken seriously. But you take that as your main point and you don't insult the person that's calling you. 
and it, you make it more of I'm on your team, let's do this together. And guess what? If you tell them, you give them the opportunity to gracefully bow out, you say, so do you need a couple of more days to get that together? The person who really isn't qualified, they're going to say, oh, you know what? Yeah, I probably need a few more days. And, and can I call you back? Absolutely, right? And if they're not qualified, nor will they be at any point in time in the near future, you're just not going to hear from them again. But you didn't offend them. They're not going to be telling other realtors, other investors about, well, this hoity-toity realtor over here. I think it just accomplishes so much in such a better, more verbally packaged way. I agree 100%. Well, there's my tirade. Probably, uh, hey, we finally got off of car dealers and lawyers and congressmen <laughs> for the blunder, right? Yeah, hey, we always want to share the wealth. I don't imagine that uh, realtors are too far ahead of, of those guys on the trust scale, though. <laughs> Not too much. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, great. Kurt, any parting thoughts for our audience, especially those in New York and San Francisco, who we just appreciate and respect so much? Oh, we love. Those are our favorite people, New York and San Francisco. And some of the best food in the world, by the way. We already know that. But as we talked about the law of involvement and, and getting past some of the confusion, how to deal with someone that's angry, that's really important, but also with involvement to make sure that when somebody's indifferent, that you ask the questions, you get them back on track, you find in the what's in it for me, and it makes a huge difference in your ability to persuade. Great, great. Awesome information for today. We, we look forward to talking with all of you next week. Uh, Los Angeles and Atlanta, you are on the schedule to be insulted next week. And <laughs> we will, beyond that, we'll have some more great information for you that will help you persuade, negotiate, and influence like a pro. We'll catch you next week. See you next week.